We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5 this morning. We're just going to continue to walk through the Sermon on the Mount. We've been going through and we've been looking at tough questions and God's answers. Tough questions and God's answers. How would Christ have us respond to difficult things, to challenges that we face in our life? And uh, this morning we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible this morning, there should be one in the seat in front of you. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, feel free to take that home with you. That is our gift to you today. But we're going to be in Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, chapter 5. And we're going to look at verses 38 through 42 this morning. This is Jesus at the Sermon on the Mount. And he is challenging the religious leaders of, those, of that day who had twisted God's law. And they had gone, drifted away from the spirit of the law, what God was really intending for his people to be and how he was intending for them to live. And Jesus is challenging that and showing what a follower of Christ, what a follower of God is supposed to look like in their life on a day-to-day basis. And so we're going to look Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 38. says, You have heard that it was said, An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who who would borrow from you. There was a farmer who had a beautiful watermelon patch. He had been tending that watermelon patch, and he was so proud of his watermelons. And they were just about to be ripe, and he had just put so much time and effort in weeding that watermelon patch and keeping it just perfect. And nice, big, juicy watermelons were coming. But much to his irritation... When he would go out and check his watermelon patch on some mornings, there'd be one or two missing. And it just drove him crazy that somebody was coming and was stealing his watermelons. So he came up with a plan. He had an idea. He went and he got some poison. He got some poison and he came and he injected one of those watermelons full of poison. And he got a sign and he put it out there by the watermelon patch and it said, one of these watermelons is poisoned. He thought he had figured out the problem. Nobody would take one of his watermelons knowing that one of these is going to be poisoned. It could kill him. So he went to bed that night thinking he had really solved his problem. He'd gotten the best of this guy who was stealing his watermelons. Next morning he goes back out. Sure enough, not a single watermelon's gone. He was so proud of himself. But his sign was gone and it had been changed. Somebody had come and put another sign up in its place and it said, Now two of your watermelons are poisoned. (laughs) You see, when sometimes when we we get into that attitude of fighting back, that can escalate. It can escalate. Ron Ripple, 67, of Clearwater, Florida, uh, was denied a county permit to put a trailer on his land because of his wealthy neighbors who were all around him. So what he did, instead of putting a trailer on his land, he opened a perfectly legal pig farm on his land despite his neighbors who didn't want him putting this trailer and bringing down the value of their neighborhood. So he put a pig farm there on his land. 
You see, we have this tendency to get people back, don't we, when we feel like we've been offended or like we've been wronged. Um, There were two other folks who got in a fight over a pig, a guy named Floyd and somebody else named Randolph. They lived on the Kentucky-West Virginia border, and it was in the late 1800s, and Randolph's pig wandered off one day, and Floyd found a pig on his land, and he said, well, I'm going to take it. And these two got into a battle and a feud over that pig, and it was, the fellow's name was Floyd Hatfield and Randolph McCoy. That has how that famous feud between the Hatfields and McCoys that lasted years and resulted in 12 people being killed started over a fight over a pig. You see, that's our nature, isn't it? When somebody does us wrong, when somebody gets us, we want to get them back. And with a little bit of interest, show them, hey, I don't, you, you can't do that to me again. We want, to, we want to get them back and show them. And there's this, in our nature, we have a, a desire and a heart to retaliate, don't we, when somebody takes advantage of us or when we feel like we've been unjustly treated, unfairly treated, we want to get people back. And there's this desire to retaliate. We've all been wronged. I know that each one of us could probably think of a situation in your life, probably even this week, when somebody has wronged you or somebody has treated you unfairly or somebody's cut you off in traffic it could happen in the workplace or at school, maybe at home. But we are constantly running into, the, into that kind of situation in our lives. It could happen even in church. And what is our response to be? What is our response when people wrong us? Is it not like that pig farmer or that water, watermelon uh, farmer? We tend to want to retaliate and get them back to let them know they can't treat us like that. You can't do that to me. That, that's what our, our tendency is. But what, what really happens when we do that, when we get into this cycle of revenge and retaliation? What happens when we do that? Our minds become consumed, don't they? Our minds become consumed with this desire to get even, to get revenge and to retaliate. Our hearts can become so full of anger and hate when we get into that kind of cycle. And when we do that in our life, we just bring pain into our life when we, when we escalate, when we retaliate to wrong that's done to us. We're not set free when we step, when we, when we revenge and when we, when we do that. You know, when we toss and turn in our beds at night and we just go over and over again, man, I wish I had said that. Or we make a plan of, you know what, I'm going to say this to that person. I'm going to do this. You're losing when you do that. That's not winning when we live like that. That's losing. And so what is it that Christ would have us do? If we're going to be his follower, what would he have us do in a situation like that? When we've been unfairly and unjustly treated, what are we to do? What's the key? What's the good news? What does Jesus say we're supposed to do? And we find it in here, but um, in this passage today. But knowing that our nature is to retaliate, God gave a law, and he gave it to restrain. And Jesus quotes that, that law here at the very beginning in verse 38 he says you have heard that it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth jesus is quoting that phrase eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth from the old testament you see it three times in the old testament in exodus 21 24 leviticus 24 20 and deuteronomy 19 21 
God gave that law to his people, to a nation. He gave it to Moses to give to the people. And its purpose was to restrain. You see, those people were living in a, in a culture of honor and shame, where if somebody got you, you know, you had to pay them back double. If somebody stole your cow, you might be tempted to go kill the guy's wife. I mean, it was a strong honor and shame culture, and God gave this law to the people to restrain them, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, that the, the punishment should fit the crime. It shouldn't be used for revenge and to retaliate, and it was to prevent excess. And it was given as a civil law to the nation, to the people, to be carried out by appointed judges. It was never intended for individuals to take and to use as this tool or a weapon to attack people. In our society today, we still need laws. We still need restraint. We need restraint on evil. And that's why God gave that law. But you see, it was being twisted. This eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth law was being twisted in Jesus' time, in Jesus' day. And it was being used by religious leaders as a club, as a, a form of revenge, as, you know, if this person gets you, you've got to go and get them back. And they were teaching the people to go and to use this to attack others and to get other people back. And that was never what it was intended to be used for. Leviticus 19.18 says, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. Proverbs 20.22 says, do not say, I'll pay you back for this wrong. Wait for the Lord, and he will deliver you. You see, we have this tendency, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. I want to get some revenge. I want to get them back when somebody gets me. And we can become consumed with retaliation. We can become consumed with that. It can eat at our heart, at our soul, and at our lives. It can eat us up. So what's the answer? What do we do when somebody takes advantage of us? When somebody steals our time? When somebody treats you unfairly? When you face opposition in the workplace or at school, in your life, in your family? What should you do? Jesus gives us the answer in the next verse. He says, verse 39, But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. That's the key. Do not resist the one who is evil. Don't become your enemy's enemy. Don't become your opponent's opponent. Don't step into that. That word resist that is used here in this passage, in this verse, it's a Greek word that means to set oneself against, to oppose, to become an opponent of. The picture here, it's like somebody's standing in a boxing ring. Somebody's in a ring. And they've got their gloves on. They hate you, and they're saying, come on, bring it, get in this ring. Let's have at it, and trying to get you into that ring with them to fight because they want to hurt you. They want to do damage to you, and what Jesus is saying, do not step into that fight. Don't put the gloves on. Don't become your enemy's enemy. Do not resist the evil one. Don't do it. Don't, and that's not a position of weakness. There's great strength in saying no to that and in resisting that temptation to step into that fight. Sometimes it would be a lot easier to just jump in and have at it. What Jesus says is, no, don't do that. Don't become your enemy's enemy. If there's one thing you hear today, hear that. Do not become 
your enemy's enemy. Don't become an opponent to the one that's trying to bring you down. Don't engage them in that way. This is a, a verse that's often misunderstood, though. Do not resist the evil one, the evil person. This does not mean that we don't need police officers, that we don't need soldiers, that we shouldn't have courts or laws. That's not what Jesus is saying in this passage. It's a much more personal message than that. We need the law to protect and restrain evil in our society. But you, so that you and your heart can be set free and not be drawn into this retaliation and revenge, don't become your enemy's enemy. Do not resist the evil one. Don't retaliate. So what does this non-retaliation look like? What does this look like? Well, Jesus gives us four examples in Scripture of what this looks like, this non-retaliation. Four illustrations, four examples. He's not giving a new law here to follow. What he's doing is just laying out examples from uh, practical life of what this looks like to not retaliate, to not become your enemy's enemy. The first is verse 39, the second part of the verse there. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Again, this is a, a verse that's often been misunderstood and misinterpreted. This does not mean that we're just to subject, subject ourselves to abuse. Uh, the picture here is of somebody just getting up in your space. And this is really more about the insult than it is the injury. They're getting up in your space. And to slap somebody on the right cheek, you've got to use the back of your hand. You know, it's this getting up in your space and just a slap on the back of the, with the back of the hand across somebody's face. You know, that might sting your face for a second, but what's really been hurt? What's really been hurt when you receive a slap like that? It's your pride, isn't it? Your honor. You feel like, man, they've just insulted you. And again, this is not a picture of somebody just beating on you. It's, a, it's, it's the insult, not the injury that's being pictured here. And, you know, so often we feel like, man, I've got to defend my honor. I've got to fight this. I've got to fight this. But that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus says, don't retaliate. Don't get in the ring. Don't put on the gloves. Don't do it. Don't resist that. You don't have to fight for your honor. Be secure in who you are in Christ and your relationship with him. You don't have to return that insult that you've just received. Jesus says, turn the other cheek. Be free from that. Don't engage in the battle. And again, this is not weakness. It's meekness. It's not weakness. This is kind of that picture. We, we've looked at it earlier in the Beatitudes. Doug talked about this, about meekness. It's not weakness. It's the picture of that, a horse, a powerful horse that's been bridled. And comes under God's control. It's not that that horse becomes weak. It's still powerful. But instead of just responding in its own way, we now respond under the guidance and control of Christ in our lives. The next example that Jesus gives in verse 40. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Your tunic was your shirt, basically. And your cloak is like this overcoat. And Jesus said, if they sue you for your shirt, give them your coat as well. Now, it's a low-down person who would sue you all the way down to your shirt, isn't it? 
I mean, if you owed somebody something and were indebted to them, it's a pretty low person who would come after you all the way down to your shirt. But what Jesus is saying is, get out from under that debt that you owe. Pay it. Give it back. Offer them more. It's better to give them the shirt off your back and your coat than to become bitter and get drawn into this legal battle that will suck and drain your life and will consume you and eat you up. Don't respond in that way. Give them your shirt. Give them your coat. Get it over with. Bless them and get out of there. That's how we're to respond in a situation like that. It's better than getting bitter. It's better to lose your shirt than the bitterness of some long, drawn-out legal retaliation that you might pursue in that kind of situation. The next example that Jesus gives is in verse 41. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Uh, I've been mountain biking with Jeffrey a couple of times up on Big Hill and doing some of the loops around here. And that's not what this is talking about. Jeffrey, I feel like he's always trying to get me to go one more mile. Wearing me out on the mountain bike. That is not what this is talking about here. It's not a hike up Crow Peak or something. You see, in Jesus' day and time, the Jews were living in an occupied country. There was a foreign force, an invading army that was controlling the land. There were Roman soldiers everywhere, all over. And can you imagine how that would feel if we had a foreign army that had invaded and was controlling the country in which we lived in? You wouldn't like it. You would, it, would, it would bring bitterness to your heart. But there was a law in that day and time that said a Roman soldier could come and conscript any citizen and make them carry their backpack, their shield, their stuff for one mile. And that citizen was obliged to carry that Roman soldier's stuff for one mile. It didn't matter if you're on your way to work, on your way to the temple, um, going home, going to the market. A Roman soldier could just grab you and say, you, carry my bags one mile. You'd have to carry their stuff for one mile, then go back the mile that you had just walked. And people hated it. They were bitter about having to do that. And Jesus says to them, when that Roman soldier comes and says, you, walk a mile, go the mile. And then give them one more. Don't let them control you and become, eat away at your heart and plant that seed of bitterness. Bless them. See what that does. Bless them back. Be free from that bitterness and retaliation and anger in your heart. Pour out blessing on your enemies in that kind of situation. Don't let their actions consume and control you. Let God control that situation. Return injustice and unfairness with a blessing. And see what God will do with that kind of situation. If they tell you to go one mile, go two. That's the principle of going the second mile. The last example is in verse 42. And Jesus says, Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Now this doesn't mean you have to clear out your bank account every time somebody <laughs> comes and says, Can I have a dollar? But what it is saying is, where is your heart with regard to your stuff. Do you own your stuff or does your stuff have you? Are you holding on to your stuff tight? Or are you kind of holding on to it with an open hand, recognizing where it comes from? Who has blessed you in the first place? The focus is on concern for others 
rather than concern and consumption of ourself and our stuff and our possessions. 1 John three seventeen and 18 says, If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words and tongue, but with actions and in truth. See, these are hard examples. These are hard things to hear. They would have been hard 2,000 years ago when Jesus was sharing them with those people who were oppressed. And they're kind of hard to hear today. They make us feel uncomfortable when we think about responding to wrongs in our life in this way. It makes us feel a little bit uncomfortable. I don't want to do that. I don't want to give in that way. I don't want to bless in that way when people wrong me. It's hard stuff, but it's truth. And we shouldn't dismiss what God says here, what Jesus is saying. You know what Jesus said about his truth? He said it's freeing. Jesus said that his truth is freeing when we live by it. When we live this way, we can be free from retaliation and revenge. We don't get consumed and eaten up by it. We can be free. Retaliation and revenge put us in bondage to the person that wrongs us. But responding as Jesus would have us respond can set us free in our heart and in our mind and in our life. And again, this does not mean that we are to become some kind of punching bag or doormat for others. It's not saying, you know, oh, yeah, this hurts, but I'm a Christian and I'm a follower of Jesus. It's okay, bring it. That's not what this is saying here in this passage. It's more about your heart and how you respond when those times come in your life. Um, and it's not, Jesus is not saying that we're not to care about justice in our world. Jesus cared about justice and about things being right. And he preached on it and he taught on it. He was compassionate. He was kind. He was full of love. There was one time when Jesus was okay with injustice. And it was when it was directed at himself, when he went to the cross. Aren't we the opposite in so many ways? We hear about injustice on the TV or something going on in Sudan or in our community, and we sleep okay at night. But then when it's directed at us, man, we stiffen up. We tend to be the opposite of how Jesus has called us to live in that way. You know, so what is, what is Jesus saying in this passage? How are we to respond to these things that come into our life? To opposition, to enemies, to people who want to bring us down, whether they know us or not. Jesus says to respond with good. Romans 12, in Romans 12 it says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Do not take revenge. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You see, we're to have a concern and a love for others that comes first before a concern and a love even for ourselves. Luke 9, 23, Jesus said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. You see, if we're going to follow him, there must be some kind of willingness in our lives to sacrifice. To taking self off of the throne of our lives and putting Christ as first and Lord of our lives, not ourselves. 
I have a friend uh, named, I'm going to call him Noy. Uh, before I came here to Spearfish, for three and a half years, my wife and I served as missionaries in northern Laos in Southeast Asia. Laos is a, um, a communist country. It's one that is uh, very restricted towards Christians. Christians there face constant persecution. They face constant oppression. And it's just frankly a difficult place to be a follower of Jesus Christ because of the, um, the persecution that goes on there. And when I was there, I met a guy named Noy. Noy is a little short guy, small, small fella, and he was a rice farmer. He was poor, didn't have running water in his home, no furniture in his home, just a very basic cinder block home. And he was the first Christian in his village. He had six children, and uh, when he became a Christian, his life was transformed. And he began to share with other people in his village about what God had done in his life. And they didn't want to hear it. They hated it. They didn't want to hear that. They didn't like the change that happened. They didn't like that change. They were devout Buddhists or worshiping spirits, and they didn't like what Noi was saying. But Noi was faithful, and uh, there in the, in the rice farming community, everybody would help each other during the planting and during the harvest season. And he would go and he'd help the other farmers during the, the harvest and during the planting. And then when it came time for Noy's field to be planted or harvested, nobody would help him. He would have his kids and they'd come and help, but uh, nobody would help him. And he never let bitterness take root in his heart. He continued to love on the people in his community. And after a short time, the local authorities there in his village in northern Laos heard that Noy had become a Christian, and they began to go around the village and to surrounding villages and to basically slander Noy, telling him, look, he's poor. He's just doing this to try and get your money. He's a bad man. But you know what happened? He never responded to that in a... He didn't put his gloves on. He didn't step into the ring and try and fight it. He just continued to be faithful to God and to love his community. And in the following weeks after that little campaign by the local authorities to slander him began, in the following weeks, he'd get a knock on his door at night. And somebody would come in and say, Noe, we heard that you're a Christian. And I see that your life is just so different than mine. I see hope and joy even when these bad things are going on in your life. How is that? And he began to share the gospel with people in his village and in the surrounding villages. And over the next year, over 30 families in two villages came to be followers of Christ because of his testimony and the way that he responded to wrong and the way that he responded to opposition. See, I believe that God will really do an amazing thing in your life, in this church's life, in the life of others, when we respond in the way that God would have us to, rather than taking up the fight, and stepping in the ring, and slugging it out, getting consumed by retaliation and revenge. God will do something with it when we respond in the right way. Don't become your enemy's enemy. Bless them and be free instead of being consumed and retaliating. You see, their spiritual liberation when we let Christ control our response. Do you remember old Peter? Peter, the follower of Jesus. Peter, the disciple. When they, the soldiers came to arrest Jesus, 
Remember what he did? He pulled out a sword and he cut off one of the soldier's ears. I have a feeling he wasn't going for the ear, by the way. I think he was going for the, the head. I think he just got the ear. But I think he was really re- angry and he was retaliating. He was like, this isn't going to happen. I'm going to fight this. What did Jesus do? He picked the ear up and he healed that person. And then Jesus himself went on to suffer injustice at the hands of those soldiers. That Peter who did that, he saw Jesus suffer. He saw Jesus die on the cross. He saw what Jesus went through. And listen to what Peter wrote a few years later. 1 Peter 2, 23-24 When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. You see, these words of do not retaliate, do not resist the evil one, they're not from a hypocrite. If these were my words, you, they, they wouldn't be much use. But these are the words of Jesus. And he did it. He did it. He suffered unjustly. But he did not retaliate. And because of that, we can be free when we live in this way. How can we live in this way? Only if we've been changed by God and filled by the Holy Spirit. We can't do this on our own. Somebody comes up and slaps you out of your own strength and your own power, you're going to slap them back. If somebody does you wrong, you're going to get them back. The only way that we can live this way is if we've been changed by God, there's been a heart change, and you've been filled by the Holy Spirit. A famous preacher said, it takes a new man to live this kind of life. No one can hope to live like this unless he is born again, unless he has received the Holy Spirit. It is not a comfortable teaching, but it is the word of God, and this is what Christ would have us be. This is what Christ would have us be. You see, the truth is, every one of us has wronged God. We've done wrong. We've opposed him. We haven't lived and honored and blessed our creator in the way that we should have. We've fallen short. We've missed the mark. We've sinned against him. And what did he do for us? Did he retaliate? He didn't. He sent his son, Jesus. He sent a savior. He demonstrated his love for us while we were still sinners by sending Christ. And that's how we're to respond. If you haven't received that gift of Jesus Christ this morning, that's what you need to live in freedom and to be set free from this kind of revenge and retaliation. And I'm going to pray a simple prayer. It's one that you could pray in your heart that will bring you into a right relationship with God and you don't have to live in bondage to that kind of anger and hate and revenge in your life. So if you'd bow your heads with me and close your eyes, um, if you uh, need to make that decision today to follow Jesus Christ, the one who suffered so that we could be set free, 
You can pray a simple prayer like this. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner, that I'm wronged, that I've done wrong, that I haven't responded to you and your love in the way that I should have. But I believe that you sent your son Jesus so that I might be saved when I trust in him. And Lord, I just confess this morning that you are the Lord of my life. If you prayed a prayer like that, God's promise is that he will send his spirit to come and live in you, that he'll change you, and that you can live in his freedom. And Father, for those of us who are followers of you this morning, I pray that you would help each one of us respond to wrong in the right way, that we would not become our enemy's enemy, Lord, but that we would respond with blessing, that we would entrust ourselves to you, the one who judges justly, and that you would do a mighty work as we, as we live in that way, Lord, that you would set us free, that we don't have to be drug into that fight, but that we can live above it, Father. We thank you for the power to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.